come up and speak, that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word. And God, I just, I ask for blessings to be heaped upon these two as they are seniors, as they walk into the, their final, final months here. God, I ask just for a blessing on them. And tonight, Father, I ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear what they have to say. Come and speak to us. Come and meet us where we're at. Because when you walk into the room, everything changes. When you walk into the room, everything changes. So walk into the room, God. Jesus. Thanks, Serena. You guys may have a seat, please. Can we give it up for the worship band? Awesome job, guys. Ben, can you hit those lights, please? What's up, guys? My name is Ryan. Again, uh, I'm the pastor of Alive. Thank you for coming out. Um, tonight's an exciting night because, uh, as you know, we have sometimes we have guest speakers speaking, and uh, just we have two special people speaking tonight where probably a lot of you are here to hear them. Um, but uh, I'm going to invite Allie and Jeremy up, and uh, I'm going to pray you guys in. Just want to um, give each of them a quick shout out. Jeremy was actually, I believe, the first person after I got hired uh, that I t met and that I talked to, and and he kind of joined on our team to be an, an alive leader. And uh, it's been really cool because he's been with the ministry for a while and uh, got, seen it go through different stages and seasons. And uh, it's been so special to have him kind of be with us his senior year. And uh, you know, he's not just a student, but he's a friend. So I uh, love this dude and excited for how God's going to use him tonight. And then my sister, my homegirl, Allie. <laughs> um, man, this girl, so she started coming in the fall. Uh, my, bro, my bro, my boy Cam Viney brought her. And, uh, man, she's just, like, turned this place upside down. Literally probably, like, 50 of you are here right now because she's invited you. I literally, like, we'll go to get coffee on campus, and, like, every street we go to, she knows someone. So, um, but man, God has used, it has done so much in her and through her, and uh, I'm just so excited for what the Lord's going to speak tonight. So, if you guys wouldn't mind, we're just going to pray for them real quick, and then uh, get this show started. So, Father, I just thank you, God. I thank you for each and every person here, but I especially thank you for Allie Pitcher and Jeremy Henderson. Crap, I'm getting choked up. God, I just thank you that they are friends and family. And uh, that you've used them in my life. I thank you that Alive wouldn't be what it is today without each of them. And Father, I thank you just for all the people who are here. Even Allie's brother coming out and Jeremy's teachers coming out. And just people are here because they love both of them so much. They've, they've impacted so many people's lives. Even our coworkers from Game Day Spirit are here to root on Jeremy. And it's just a testimony to each of their lives and the people that they are. So, God, we just ask you to speak to them and then through them, inspire us, and uh, 
We just thank you for friends who are family. In Jesus' name, amen. Can y'all hear me? Sweet. All right. So uh, thanks. <clears throat> thanks, Ryan, for that. Uh, before I get started, though, I got to give a shout out to some folks. My game day family back there holding it down. Shout out to you guys, Heather and Georgia. Thanks for coming. And then also my academic parents, also in the building, uh, professors uh, Travis and Trina Wright-Dixon. So I uh, want to thank them. So yeah, like Ryan said, my name is Jeremy. And uh, I'm one of the student leaders here, and I have been a part of this ministry since my freshman year of, um, of college. People are pointing at me. I'm not sure <laughs> what's happening. Oh, and my, well, and my brother. He knows. <laughs> he, he knows I love him. Like, yeah. <laughs> you guys were special, though. Like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so um, I am one of the student leaders here. I've been a part of this ministry for four years since my freshman year back in 2012. And it was a really cool story how um, I found my way here. Um, I just really felt like, you know, this is where the Lord told me that I was going to grow as a follower of Jesus and as a disciple. And that's exactly what happened. So I want to encourage everybody here tonight that if you are not a part of a campus ministry, um, I really implore you to, to seek one out because, you know, especially if you want to grow and develop in your relationship with Christ, um, it has been so influential in my life. Um, so if you guys have been around this semester, then you would know that we have been in this sermon series called Why Do We Believe, right? Why do we believe uh, in the miracles of Jesus? And you'd also know that we've been going through the book of John, the entire book of John this semester. And last week, my brother, right, uh, shared also on John 10. He talked about how Jesus is our shepherd. And if Jesus is our shepherd, then that means that we are his sheep. And that means that uh, we can have a relationship with him and that he can speak to us. And when he speaks to us, we can hear his voice. And so he shared on how we can hear the voice of God. And so this week, I'm going to be talking a little bit about, okay, so once we've uh, learn how to hear the voice of God. How do we respond to the voice of God? And, you know, this can be difficult to do, right? Because sometimes, I was talking to someone last week, actually, you know, we were talking about how you can doubt sometimes whether, you know, what you're hearing is the voice of God. And this can be really difficult in times of, you know, periods of transition and pain and, you know, storms to really um, hold true and, and, and to trust that what God says uh, is, is his word. And so, you know, or you could be someone who doesn't necessarily doubt, but maybe you get frustrated when you're in times of those tragedies, pains, or storms, and maybe you get indignant or angry at God. Maybe you find yourself asking questions like, you know, God, where were you at when this thing happened to me? Or, God, why did you let this happen to me? Or maybe you get a little more bold and, you know, figuratively point your finger at God and say, where were you, Lord, when blank happened to me? And if you've ever found yourself in either of those, uh, those camps, then you are a lot like Mary and Martha in the Bible. Uh, the Bible tells us about their story in, in John 11. Um, now, 
in John 11, it talks mostly about uh, Lazarus' death, uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead. And that's a phenomenal story, right? Like, Jesus raised a real man um, from the dead back to real life. Like, that's crazy miraculous. Fewer things get more miraculous than that. But I also think that we have um, sometimes missed and brushed over another miraculous story that took place, and that involves Mary and Martha and the Jewish people that witnessed Lazarus' death. And so... um, Before I get into this, I want to preface this that um, if you did not get your Bible reading in today, uh, don't don't fear because we we got a lot to read tonight. Um, Yeah, a lot of text, but it's going to be okay. Um, We are going to have the slides uh, or the scriptures up on the slides, and then I'm also going to jump around a little bit, so I think you'll be able to get through it. So we're going to start off in John 11. John chapter 11, verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV version, and it reads like this. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Verse 3, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, this is my favorite part. Get ready for this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Everybody say, aw. Aw, right? That's super sentimental. And verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait, what just happened? Jesus, John just told us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much But he decided to stay an extra two days after finding uh, that his friend Lazarus was ill. Okay, verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So there's a lot in those six or seven verses that just happened. I'm going to point a couple things out. First of all, we have these two women um, seeking out Jesus. And for that time, that was completely atypical for two women to be uh, so close um, to, to a religious teacher, a rabbi like Jesus. So that's telling us, one, the, the heart of Jesus, but also the nature of their relationship. And then two, if you notice, um, Jesus, John, who's the author of this book, tells us twice how much he loved Lazarus. First time, John uh, tells us, he quotes The sisters are saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And then he tells us again that in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha, the sister, and Lazarus. So it seems like John is being really adamant with wanting to let us know how much Jesus loved and cared about Lazarus. And then another thing happens. So we find out that Jesus loved Lazarus so much, but then he uh, tells Martha and Mary that, He's going to wait another two days before he comes. This is completely counterintuitive, right? Like, Jesus, yo, if this is your bro, if y'all are boys, why would you wait another two days to tend about him? So I thought of the best scenario that I could uh, to illustrate this. I'm going to ask my brother to come up here, and he's going to help me uh, kind of make sense of this. Yeah, give him a clap. So, okay, Uh, I liken this story to, let's say Brandon came to me, and he said, you know, 
Jeremy, um, something bad has happened. Something tragic has happened. Uh, me and Sharon, his wife, we got kicked out of our crib. We got evicted. And this just happened. Today is Monday. They kicked us out. I didn't sell enough CDs. <laughs> Rent didn't get paid. He raps. For people who, know, yeah, shameless plug, buy his music, okay? So uh, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't sell enough CDs, and they kicked us out. And I'm coming to you. Can we live with you at the guy's house? And I said, you know what? Of course you can. We have all these rooms in the guy's house. We've got this big shower. Of course you can live with us. But the only stipulation is that I can't let you move in until Wednesday. Mind you, it's Monday. What sense would that make? So now you would have to wait two days to live in my house. It's completely counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. I have, what, I have the means, right, that can change his situation, yet I'm going to make him wait. That's essentially what Jesus did. So give him a hand. Thanks. All right. So uh, verse 7, we left off, and then it says, so after Jesus said these things to the disciples, he said, let us go to Judea again. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, the disciples essentially rebuked Jesus after he wanted to go back to Judea. They said, Jesus, like, these guys are trying to stone you, and you want to go back there? And Jesus essentially claps back and says, like, there's 12 hours in a day. There's work to be done. There's ministry to be done. Like, let's go. And so he finally tells them that our friend Lazarus is ill, and we're going to go back to see about him now. So we pick back up. In verse 17, and it reads like this. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Verse 19, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. That's really important. So when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she, she went and met with him, but Mary remained in the house. Sounds like Mary was depressed. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, but when, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's still not getting it. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So after Martha said this to Jesus, uh, she, it was as if she was, like, reminding herself, right, like, of who Jesus was. Like, I know that you're the Son of Christ. I know you're the Son of God. I know you're the Christ. I know you're coming into the world. And so after that, in verse 28, uh, Martha goes, and she goes to beckon um, Mary, and she says something in verse 28. She says, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, I read uh, the few previous chapters and the ones after that. And it's the only time that, uh, well, not the only time in John, but in a couple chapters that uh, Martha refers to him as the teacher. And so the fact that Martha would refer to Jesus as the teacher is implying that there's a lesson to be learned in all of this for Mary. Uh, so it's also necessary to point out, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so after this, Martha told Mary that the, Jesus, that the teacher is, you know, calling for you. So Mary heard this, and she dipped. She left the house, 
uh, she heard that Jesus was looking for her, so she left. And so after that, uh, remember that there were Jewish people that were at Mary and Martha's house consoling her. And so when they saw uh, Mary leave, they went and they followed her, thinking that she was maybe going to go to the tomb and cry some more over Lazarus. And so finally, when Mary got there, she just lost it. She met up with Jesus, and she lost it. She fell at his feet. She began to weep. And uh, she, you know, I imagine her in my head kind of just on her knees, despairingly looking up at Jesus and, you know, trying to regain her breath. Because remember, she had just ran uh, however many miles to get to Jesus. And we could assume that the only thing that she was trying to regain was her breath, um, because certainly she wasn't going to regain her dignity at that point. Um, And she said verse, she said one thing in verse 32 again, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So it's like the third time that we've heard this, this phrase. And so she's losing it. The Jewish people are losing it. And then finally, Jesus loses it himself. And guess what? Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. But yet it is so profound. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. Seeing Mary, seeing Martha, seeing the people around him, it said that he was so moved to his spirit that it led him to his own tears. And so after that, um, he finally tells them, he says, okay, take me to where Lazarus is buried. Take me to his tomb. And so Martha, being Martha, she's like, Jesus, you know, he's been dead now for four days. Could you imagine the odor, the, 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 the foul stench that would be coming from his tomb at this point? Like, Jesus, you're out of your mind. And then again, Jesus reminds her that Martha, in verse 40, he says to her, Did I not tell you that if you had believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! I just wanted to do that. (laughs) 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And that concludes our story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. So there's a lot going on in that story, right? Like, so you would say that, okay, well, that's a happy ending. You know, great, Lazarus died. Um, Martha and Mary got their brother back. But, you know, that's just the story. That's in the Bible. What does that look like? Uh, what would that look like now? What's the, what's the real life application to that? And so that's what Allie now is going to talk about. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, You can tell he's a communications major, so (laughs) awesome job. Um, So something that I kind of want to continue, I don't want to trip on these cords, sorry. Um, Something that we've been, a theme that we've been going through, um, not just the miracles, but showing um, how these miracles that Jesus did then um, can still happen now. Um, So he worked this crazy miracle in the life of Lazarus and Martha and Mary, Um, And I just want to show tonight that he did that then, and he can do something like that now. Um, He worked a crazy miracle um, in my life that brought me um, from being someone that I was completely ashamed of um, to standing here right now 
which is something that I never thought I would do. Fun fact, um, someone was talking about in the beginning, encouraging, get involved in a small, in a youth group or a campus ministry. The first time I came, um, Camp Viney brought me, and I remember thinking to myself, I am not going to get involved in this. This is going to be something that I'm going to come Tuesday nights and love it, and um, here I am now. So, never know what God's going to do. Um, so if you're anything like me, sometimes you wonder when you hear these miracles of Jesus, um, why did he do these altogether? Because um, it very well could be just to show that he is God, right? That he can do these things. He can heal the sick. He can make the blind see. He can raise someone like Lazarus from the grave. But I think there's another purpose here. I believe in a God that is like a gardener. Daily, he tends to his plants, he tends to his children, and he prepares them for something like winter or a storm that's happening. So when something like that happens, um, when a storm hits, they're ready for it. They've built up this strength and this trust in who their father is, so they know everything's going to be okay. Um, and I know that because he did that in my life just a few weeks ago, actually. Um, so I'm a senior, like Jeremy, I don't know if you said that, but we're seniors, um, figuring out what we're doing um, for the rest of our lives, which is great. Um, super fun. Um, and there was this one job that I recently applied for that I really, really wanted. Um, it was for a church in Atlanta. Some of you may know. It's called Passion City. Um, I'd applied for it, and I really, really wanted it. Um, a few weeks ago, I was meeting with Ryan at Espresso, um, and he knew how badly I wanted it, and I knew how upset I would be if I didn't get it, and I was telling him I was stressing out, and um, I was saying, whatever happens in that moment when I find out, I'm just going to need to trust that that's what God's plan is, and then I'm going to know that's what I was supposed to do. And then Ryan comes in and says, how about before you do that, before you even find out, how about you start trusting now so that when the outcome happens, you'll have built up this trust and this faith that God's plan is what's best. And sometimes I don't listen to Ryan right away, but this one, I was like, all right, I got to do this. Um, listen to Ryan Otto, please. <laughs> um, so that's what I started to do. Um, I started really praying and focusing and trusting him. God, not Ryan, but also trusting Ryan. Um, <laughs> clarify. Um, so trusting God that um, whatever he was going to do, it was going to be fine and that um, his plan was going to work out, and it'd be just okay. Um, something I actually did, um, <laughs> Brian told me, uh, whenever I get an email, you know how there's like different dings for everything you get? So I know the email ding, because I check my email a lot. Um, and whenever I would hear the email ding, before I looked at my phone, I'd say, I trust you, God, I trust you, God, I trust you, God. Sometimes it was sarcastic to make Brian happy, but whatever. I still did it, and I would say, I trust you, God, because I knew, usually it wasn't a passion email, but um, just trusting that it was going to be okay. Um, so about two weeks ago, spring break, I was, this is the picture, um, I was standing on a beach in Florida with 12 of my best friends, um, and we, it was on the sunset, we were taking pictures, all dressed up, and I get a phone call, and it says I didn't get the job. I made it to the last round, but I didn't get the job. Aw, sad. Uh, <laughs> but um, as bummed as I was in that moment, I knew that it was because God had something better for me. But had I not been forced to wait all this time, I wouldn't have, I'd probably still be upset right now. 
the decision actually kept getting prolonged even further and further. There were more interviews that I didn't know I was going to have to do, and the deadline date even got pushed further. But that just made me sit and wait, sit and be still, and know that what God has was going to be good. He strengthened me so that when I hit that little storm, everything was okay. And I think that's exactly what Jesus did with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the story that Jeremy just told us. Um, Mary and Martha, it says, waited for four days for Jesus to come to their brother when he was dead. But we know, we saw the story, he came. Everything was good. He raised him from the dead. It's totally fine. But we also see that before they trusted that, they saw their dead brother. They couldn't see that he was going to be alive. They couldn't see, even though Jesus was telling them, that it wasn't going to be okay. So they were upset. We saw that they wept at his feet. They were crying, where are you, God? Why didn't you come sooner? Because had you have come, he wouldn't have, been, he wouldn't have been dead. Don't you think that he was preparing them for another storm in this time? Think about it. Lazarus was a man who died, was buried for a few days, and then he rose again. When else does this happen? When Jesus died, right? So what if Jesus was using this miracle to prepare Mary and Martha for when he was going to die? So that when he didn't, when, when he died, they wouldn't have to see the holes in his hands and the scars on his body and his risen body to know that he is their Savior and he rose again, Right? Jesus used this miracle to show these people that they can live by faith and not by sight. And I don't know about you, but that is something that is so hard to do, right? It's so hard to do. But it's something that our faith is so much reliant on. We've never seen Jesus. Maybe Ryan Otto has, but I've never seen Jesus. I don't know if any of you guys have seen Jesus. But we believe in him, right? Ryan's the only one who's seen Jesus here. Um, maybe Serena. Um, <laughs> them. Um, but so we need to live by faith and not by sight, and it's something that is so hard to do. These people in the story didn't believe when Jesus was telling them to their face that he was going to rise again, and so they were sad. So tonight I want to share with you part of my testimony that kind of gives tribute to this fact that sometimes... One moment, one decision to believe without seeing can be the most beautiful thing you can ever do in your entire life. Because that's what happened to me. Um, so going back a little bit, ever since kind of middle school, I've always been known as the Christian girl. Um, I've always kind of been known, had this reputation, and um, I liked it. But I never really had to, it was never challenged um, for example, in high school, I never drank, but I also never went to a party where there was alcohol, so I never had to choose not to drink, right? It was just something that I did. It was just who I was and this reputation that I had. And I knew I was going to college, and I knew that I was going to face all these new temptations, but I thought, it's going to be fine. It was easy to be a Christian in high school. It was easy to be a Christian in middle school. I didn't drink. It's fine. I'm not going to drink. Um, or not just drink, just do other, whatever. Whatever. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, sorry, 
Like many freshmen, we go to college and we face this whole new beast of temptations, right? So many new things. And something that I saw right away that I think almost all of you guys can attest to is that Illinois students are good at two things. One, I mean more than two, but two things. One, we're smart, we got here, and we get good grades, most of us, if we go to class, Trevor Gold, um, <laughs> love you, but that's fine. Whatever, he gets good grades, it's fine. Um, go to class. Um, so we get great jobs, great internships. He's a wonderful person. I love him very much. Um, but also, while we're successful, Illinois students have the craziest social lives, right? So I was seeing that people could do these two things. I, wasn't see I was seeing all these people live this life that I knew wasn't God-honoring, but it seemed to be perfect, right? Everyone was having fun, everyone was being successful. You do this whole college thing and then you go to college, you have a great job and make money, right? I wasn't seeing that living for God was the right way. Growing up, there's this verse that I always hear and you guys will probably recognize it. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but I wasn't seeing that. I was seeing that something else was the way and the, the life, the life to live. Um, so, I gave in, and I had a fun time. I had a stacked social life. I feel like I knew a lot of people. I was always down to go out. Um, I was always out when my friends were, um, and it was fun. Um, I Just to kind of give you like an image of what this looked like, one of my favorite things to do when I was out was take laps. Lion, for example. If you've ever been, there's like, it's like a circle, you can like walk laps around it. So I grab a friend, like, hey, Christina, let's go take a lap around Lion. See how many people we knew. How many guys would say hi to me? How many people, guys specifically that I never met, would come up and say hi to us? I got value and I got excitement out of this because I was living for a life that I thought was perfect. And I thought this was the way to do it. I got so excited when someone would say hi to me or I knew someone or when people say, oh, Ellie knows everyone because I thought that gave me worth. I was trying to live this seemingly perfect life because that's what I saw was perfect, not the God life. But as you can imagine, that quickly started going downhill. Um, junior year was really when it came to a pinnacle or like a valley, a deep low point. Um, words. Um, but by the way, I was still living this Christian life. I was still trying to be this Christian girl with this Christian reputation and have everyone think of me this way. But I was never farther from God than at this point. I wanted to be close to him so badly, even though I had no idea what that looked like. I was seeing this other life, and that's what I thought was right, not the God life. I couldn't see that living a life for Christ was the best way to live, so I just decided not to do it. I just kind of became numb, numb to God. I didn't want to think about religion or my faith because I, it just frustrated me. I was so frustrated with God, and I felt really stuck. I knew that... Um, I was kind of keeping up this little facade. People still thought of me as this Christian girl. Um, but I knew there were some people that weren't really buying it. My parents, for one. Um, I knew they were pretty worried about me. Um, didn't really know why. Um, and they were worried that I was kind of slipping into another dark spot. 
Um, but for the most part, I was really good at keeping up this facade. Um, I went to my sorority's Bible study regularly. Um, I went to another campus ministry small group, and I said all the right things, but they weren't genuine. Um, and I thought that my friends didn't really notice much. Um, until one day, three of my best friends um, in my sorority house, they came into my room, um, and they said, we're really worried about you. One of them even said um, that she felt that when she was talking to me, it was like I wasn't there. She was talking to a wall. She said it wasn't me, and she said the light that I always had was gone, and she knew that my smiles were fake. These are my best friends, and I thought I was fooling them, but I was not. They are seeing right through it. So the weeks after that, or that's when I knew that I could not keep this up forever. I couldn't keep um, balancing this reputation that I thought I had with this life that I wanted to leave because that's what I was seeing was good. The weeks after that, I just got so frustrated. And I knew that I had to change, but I just didn't know how. And it got to a point where now I knew I wasn't, I wasn't fooling my parents. I wasn't fooling my best friends. I wasn't fooling the people around me. And I wasn't even fooling myself. I was stuck. And I thought my story was done here. At this point, I started... Um, I didn't want to leave the house. I'd go to class, and I'd do what I'd have to do, but I didn't really leave the house. I tried not going out because I was afraid that if I went out, I'd make a mistake. I'd embarrass myself in front of an ex-boyfriend or an ex-whatever, um, talk to a guy at a bar, and have serious regrets the next day like I usually did. I went home a lot, too, to escape issues because if you're home, you can't go to bars because you're at home, um, and you can say no to that because you're home. Sorry. Um, but I thought, I'm going abroad soon, so everything's going to be fine. I'm going to go abroad, I'm going to find myself, right? That's what you do when you go abroad. Um, didn't happen. Um, so then I started thinking, um, there are three things, three goals that I had when I was a freshman. I remember sitting at our patio table with my grandparents and my parents and my brother, and I had my three goals um, for college. One, bring the chief back. I don't think that's happening. I'm sorry, I tried. Um, two, was to start something that would be remembered. And three, to leave college better than how I came. And that third one, I knew I wasn't doing it. I was ashamed of who I was. That's not leaving it better. So I decided that senior year, I didn't know how, but I was going to make it the best year yet. I was going to have fun. I was going to make great memories. I'm going to do everything I could. I'm going to leave it a better person, because that's what you do. Um, so I came to school, um, started joining Young Life, awesome ministry for high school students um, that I got really into a part of. Um, and a friend of mine from Young Life, Cam, he texted me one night about 10 minutes to 8 on a Tuesday night. Um, you can see where this is going. Uh, Two, 10 minutes to 8 on a Tuesday night and said, hey, there's this worship thing. Um, I don't want to go by myself. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, sure. I could use some Jesus, right? Well, I don't know. Um, so I came, and I remember sitting right there in the second row, and Leah was leading worship. And I remember she said, I'll never forget it. She said, I don't know why, but I feel like there's someone here tonight who needs to hear that they need to stop trying to change themselves. Just give up your life to God, and he will take the rest. So I said, okay. 
I said, I surrender, God. I am done fighting you because I have no idea what to do. And in this moment, I couldn't see what living a life for God was like. I had no idea. But in this moment, I chose to believe without seeing. I chose to live by faith and not by sight. The little faith that I had. I just did it. Um, I'm done trying to live how I've seen other people living, and I have no idea what to do, God, or what you are going to do, but I know that this has got to be better than how I am living now. So I started diving into the Word. I started meeting with people from Alive and doing things that gave me life and didn't give me regrets. I started believing God showed me that I am worthy. I am worthy of a Christ-centered relationship. I am worthy to be a mentor to younger girls. I am worthy to be standing here right now because I am a child of God. And he made me that way. Because he showed me this, I stopped wanting to do things that would bring me back down. I stopped wanting to go out. I stopped wanting to text guys or respond to texts from guys that I knew were just not treating me right. Because I know that that's not where my value lies. My value lies in the fact that I'm a child of God who has been brought out of the darkness, just like Lazarus was. I started realizing that I deserve better. And now I'm running as fast as I can towards God and only looking to the side if I think that someone can keep up. And if they can't, if they can't keep up, and I see that they're not ready for whatever reason, that I turn right straight and I keep on running because I know that God has something and someone better for me. And all of this took one decision to believe without seeing. It took one moment of living by faith and not by sight to bring me out of this darkness and into the light, just like Lazarus. I thought my story was done. But God wasn't done with me just yet. Lazarus was dead. His story was done. But Jesus didn't think so. He came out of the darkness and into the light. In verse 43 and 44, it says, And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out, like Jeremy so loudly yelled. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes. He came out. He responded to the call. He responded to the call that Jesus gave him to come out of the darkness and into the light. He was wrapped in grave clothes. And then Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. To me, these grave clothes are something that case in a dead, literally, they case in a dead body. They case in the darkness. They keep all of this stench and dead bodiness inside. And they keep in these bad things. And these grave clothes, when Lazarus said, take them out, they need to be unraveled, right? You can't just snap and they're gone. And to be completely honest with you, I think I'm still unraveling mine. There are things and there are people and places that remind me of the old alley, someone I don't want to be. But I'm slowly taking them off, hopefully quickly taking them off. Um, and as I unravel, I'm giving all of my trust to God. That even though I can't see what he is going to do, I know that when I take them off, he's going to give me this whole new life. He's going to make me alive. So Lazarus responded to Jesus' call. I responded to Jesus' call on a Tuesday night in September. 
when I surrendered my life to him. Our 10 friends who got baptized two Sundays ago, they responded to Jesus' call in front of the entire church. So how will you respond to the call? I'm going to invite Jeremy up and we're just going to do a little recap. Yeah, that was good, Ali. Thanks. So, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in conjunction with what Ali just shared, um, what does all this mean? What does this passage um, get at? And so, I'm just I'm going to summarize three points that I think Jesus was getting at with um, this this situation with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. First, um, what do we, the first thing that I think Jesus was challenging us to uh, think on is what do we really believe about God in times of uh, just adversity, in times of uh, tragedy and storms? And I think God uses those situations as uh, just conduits to, to kind of refocus us and, and to reset our, our sight on him. In Hebrews 12, 3, or 12, 3, it talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And then number two, I think Jesus was getting at that um, not only does he hurt um, for us, but he hurts with us. Remember in uh, verse 33, when Jesus was in the presence of Mary and Martha and all of the other Jewish people, remember that um, up until that point, Jesus had not, like, wept. Jesus had not, um, you know, explicitly or outwardly mourned. But it was, when that he, it was when he was with them, it was when he was in the presence of them that he, uh, we, we saw, like, his, his, his heart and his passion in an in a explicit outward way. And then number two, finally, um, you know, I think Jesus gets that he doesn't, uh, yes, God takes our stories and uses them for others. So um, my mom used to tell me growing up that she used to say one thing, and uh, she would say, you know, it's not always about you. And as a kid, I really didn't understand, right, because it is about me, you know. Uh, I never understood what that meant, but as I got older, I realized that what she meant by that is that, you know, you're not the only person in this world. Other people, um, you know, go through tragedy and pain. Other people experience what you even experience. And so I believe that Jesus wanted us to know that, you know, he can take our situations of, you know, storms and tragedy, periods of transition, and use them as someone else's story, the very thing that led them to encounter God and to believe in him. So we're going to invite the worship team up. We're going to move into our last set of worship, and Allie's going to pray for us. Yeah. God, I thank you so much for every single person in this room tonight. I just pray that for anyone who feels stuck, for anyone who feels frustrated with you, like their story is done, I pray that you debunk that, God. You come in and you show them that you are not done with them yet. Whether they were living the life like I was, or if they are running as fast as they can towards God, towards you, but there's something that's in the way. 
a relationship, a class, fighting for a spot on the sports team, Lord God, I just pray that you show them that you are not done. You raised Lazarus from the dead, and you are going to bring us out of whatever darkness we will ever face. I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, for the miracles, whether they be small or big, I thank you for them. In your heavenly name. excited. I want to scream a little bit. Um, Would you guys stand with me? And uh, we're just going to enter into a time of worship, but I just wanted to share something first. And um, if there's any part of you that's not whole, then that's not what God wants. He made us in his image. If there's any part of you that is missing, if there's any part of you that's not healed, That's not what God wants. And so right now we're going to enter into a time of ministry as well. And this next song is called I Surrender. And I want you guys to surrender sickness and surrender heartache. Things that you don't like about yourself. Surrender it to God. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so there are going to be people in the back during this song. And if you just want prayer, just go and talk to them. God is good, you guys. God's good. He is good. And if there's any piece of you that you don't like, if there's any piece of your life that you don't like, just go to him and surrender it. So, yeah, as we worship, you're free to go to the back and and pray with people. It's all confidential. Those people love you. And Jesus loves you.
thank you, Father. God, that is our heart's prayer, God. That is our cry that we want to know you more, God. Father, I thank you that we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have it figured out, God. But you say, seek me with all of your heart and you will find me. And God, that is our hope. That is our cry, that we will find you and know you. But God, I thank you that before we can even find you, you find us. So Jesus, I just pray if there's anyone in this room that has a story like Allie's, God, and she's been live, they, they've been living a way that they're just not satisfied and they don't want to come become this corny Christian, but they want something more in their life. They want their life to matter. They want to wake up with a hope and a love that fulfills them, God. God, if, if anyone's in this room that was like me, I just pray that you would touch their heart right now, God, and that they would bring those circumstances to you that they would even take a leap of faith and go in the back and let me or Allie or Jeremy or anyone pray for them. So, Father, I thank you that there is power in your great name. That you are real, that you are alive, that you are in this place and in this space. Jesus, we love you. Guys, I just really feel like there's some people that really, your story really resonates with Allie's. And you want something more, but you're afraid because you've seen weird people do it differently. And you don't want to become like them. And I don't blame you. But I promise if you let Jesus in, if you let, let him in, he will amaze you with his plans. So we're going to sing this next song as we close out the night called Your Great Name. And it says the same power and life and love that lived in Jesus lives in us. And that same power and life and love that raised him from the dead lives in us. And there is power in his great name. When I'm struggling or sometimes if I have a nightmare, I wake up late at night or, or I'm worried, I just whisper the name of Jesus. I just keep saying, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, because there's power in his name, because there's power in his name, because there's power in his life, and there's power in his life because his spirit lives in me, and his spirit lives in me, and his spirit lives in you. So as we sing this next song, I just encourage you, like, get out of your own head and get, let someone pray for you. I promise you, have you ever looked up at the stars and you've wondered, why am I alive? What's the meaning of my life? Guys, I promise you, man, I partied all the time. I lived for girls. I lived for sports. I lived for my image. And it, it's like chasing after the wind. It doesn't satisfy. But I promise you, if you let him in, if you trust him with your life, he will amaze you with his plans. He will bring that wife or husband in your life that you never expected, that job, that, those friends, those family. And most of all, he brings himself to comfort you, to give you hope, to remind you that when things happen, when life is hard, because it is, that you're not alone. I firsthand see Allie Pitcher changed from the inside out this semester. She's been changed. Her heart's on fire with a love that no man or no guy or no job could ever give her. Let his love amaze you guys. I promise he won't let you down.
Jesus. Thank you that you've made a way for us to enter into your healing, God. That you've made a way for us to be whole. And you've made a way for us to enter into your presence and to have a relationship with you, God. And that you're touching everybody in this room. And that because every relationship that you have with each one of us, it's different for every person. And it's so special, God. We thank you for walking into the room tonight. We thank you that everything changed. In Jesus' name, amen.